Blog Talk Radio. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Chat Autism with Generation Rescue. I'm your host, Julio Bradovic. We're so excited to have you joining us today for our first of many incredible podcasts in 2017. We have some absolutely amazing guests planned this year to help you and your family on your path to finding health, healing, and hope. And today's guest is no exception. Joining us is a leading functional medicine practitioner who specializes in treating chronic conditions such as thyroid issues, autoimmunity, hormonal dysfunctions, digestive disorders, and more, which sounds familiar to us in the autism community. And he does so by clinically investigating the underlying factors of these conditions and then customizing a health program based on his patient's needs. We're very lucky to have him joining us today, and I can't wait to ask him about one of the core issues that many of our kids and we caretakers of children with autism often have, which is specifically the effect of hormones on our gut and brain health. So let me start by saying thank you so much for joining us today, and please help me welcome our expert, Dr. Will Cole, to chat autism with Generation Rescue. Thank you for being here today, Dr. Cole. Thanks so much for having me. I'm excited to talk with you today. Excellent. Yes, I am too. I really, really am. I'm really looking forward to this. So I think a great place to start before we even begin is to maybe explain to the audience exactly exactly what a functional medicine approach is. You know, we have a lot of buzzwords these t- today in uh, the health community. We have alternative medicine and integrative medicine. How would you best describe a functional medicine approach to health and wellness? Great question, and I think it's a good place to start when we're kind of talking about these different health topics from a, from, from a functional medicine perspective. Uh, if I had to kind of boil it down, one of the main differences between functional medicine and mainstream medicine, which most people know about that, and kind of, kind of look at the two together, uh, the first thing would be we interpret labs using a thinner reference range. So all your listeners know on those labs that you get from your doctor, your, your blood labs from your PCP or endocrinologist or any other specialist, you have these reference ranges, and they say from you know, this number to that number, X to Y, these are where your numbers should be, and then they're comparing your biomarker to these reference ranges. Well, we get those reference ranges from a statistical bell curve average of the population of that specific lab. So if you know, if you go to another lab, you'll see that same biomarker will have a slightly different reference range because the population of that lab is different. Well, the, you have to ask the question, who are people that typically go to labs? They're people with health problems. They're managing their medications or they're not feeling well. And there's a lot of us that go to our doctor to say, okay, I'm not feeling right. Something's not right with my body. These symptoms are, are unexplained. Let's get these labs ran. And they largely, if not all, come back quote-unquote normal, even though you, you know, instinctively what you're going through isn't normal, and, but you're told, you know, this is, everything's fine, you're just depressed, here's an antidepressant, or you're just getting older, or this is how things are, or you just need to lose weight, and, you know, you kind of go from doctor to doctor and are you know, told it's all in your head, and the reality is what they're unintentionally saying is that you're a lot like the other sick people, people that make up the population of this lab, because if you're going through symptoms despite quote-unquote normal labs, they're either not interpreting the labs properly or they're not running the right labs or both. So functional medicine uses a much thinner range 
within that larger reference range. So if you take people with health problems out of that reference range, what's left are people that live long, healthy lives. They feel great, they're sleeping well, they have no health problems. So a functional medicine blood chemistry analysis can really give people insight into why they feel the way that they do. Uh, so that's the first thing we do differently in functional medicine. The second thing, we run more comprehensive labs. So some of the things we're going to probably talk about today is things like microbiome dysfunctions, gut dysfunctions, toxicity issues, methylation genetic impairments, uh, hormonal imbalances, nutrient deficiencies. So these are things that we take into consideration in functional medicine because we want to get to the root core issue. And the reason why there's, there's labs are typically not ran in the mainstream model is not because your doctor is being negligent. It's because it doesn't change the treatment outcome. It doesn't change the medication. Right. So it's superfluous lab testing from a mainstream model of care. But from our perspective, we want to look at all the pieces of the puzzle that give rise to these chronic health problems. And the third thing we do differently in functional medicine is really we realize we're all different. There's not a cookie-cutter, one-size-fits-all approach to getting well. So we use food as medicine, we use herbal botanical medicines as medicine, but customized based on the individual and lifestyle changes and things like that. So that's in a nutshell my long-winded answer to what functional <laughs> medicine is. No, no, much appreciated. Thank you so much for that. I think it's important for us to understand that, you know. Um, so good, getting into our topic for today, this is a big one, hormones and our, their effect on our gut and brain health. So I'm sure you probably already know this, but the gut in autism is really like the cornerstone of what we do biomedically. We, we are talking, you're talking to a group of parents that get it, right? We know that the gut has to be functioning well for everything else to be functioning well. So we do the diet and we're removing, um, you know, other foods that might uh, irritate the gut. We treat yeast overgrowth. We even address parasites. But what's interesting and why I really am anxious to talk to you today is that it's more than just those things. It's also hormones. And this has been something that is, you know, traditionally a little bit more challenging for our community to address. So I'd like to start with basically a brief explanation, if you can, of the relationship that our gut has with our hormones and vice versa, the, the relationship of, you know, what do the hormones do to our, our gut? Yeah, that's a great topic. So, yeah, your listeners are very well-read people. I don't need to go into every little detail that you know but already, but your gut is the foundation of health. Hippocrates, that all disease begins in the gut. So for those of you who don't know, it's very important. But it's also in the medical literature, and I'm sure your, most of your listeners know this, it's referred to as your second brain. So not, I know that I'm weird, but I think physically, if you think about it, the intestines even kind of resemble the brain in many ways. And it's formed from the same fetal tissue when babies are growing in their mom's stomach. Your gut and brain are inextricably linked um, for the rest of your life through what's called the gut-brain axis. And 95% of your serotonin, your happy neurotransmitter, is made in the gut, stored in the gut. Um, so, yes, the medical literature is rich uh, looking at this gut-brain axis in relation to autism spectrum disorders as well as autoimmune inflammation spectrum problems at large. So the two main pathways or ways that hormone, the gut hormone connection would be one is this gut-brain connection because what are, what are hormones? They're chemical messengers from the brain hormonal axis. So you have what's called the hypothalamic pituitary adrenal axis, the hypothalamic pituitary thyroid axis, and then 
the brain over your testicular axis too. So it's this brain hormonal communication line that I typically see impacted by underlying gut problems. So your second brain, huh. your gut, is influencing the neural output of your actual, your actual brain. And this is influencing hormonal output. So I see people that, with, that have cortisol fluctuations or thyroid fluctuations, but the upstream core root issue is actually not a hormonal problem. It's a gut problem. Is gut inflammation impacting neural output, the brain hormonal communication. So that's one major way is the gut influencing the brain, which is then influencing the output of hormones. But the second is the actual conversion of hormones in the gut. So, for example, 20% of your thyroid hormone has to be converted from T4 to T3 in your gut. If your gut's not mm-hmm. working well, if there's dysbiosis in the gut or imbalance, bacterial overgrowth, or like you mentioned, yeast overgrowth, this can largely impact conversion of hormones and activation of hormones. So those are two common, common dysfunctions that I see of the gut that can influence hormones. Okay. Yeah, and, uh, you know, clearly if your gut is in a state of dysbiosis, it's not being able, you know, it can't function, can't do what it's supposed to do, that's going to impact you mood-wise and all sorts of other ways, and and especially for our kids when they're trying to do their therapies and so forth, um, it could be really problematic. You mentioned cortisol, right? And I think most people listening probably have at least a brief understanding of cortisol, but if you could walk us through that a little bit about high cortisol levels, um, what is it, how is it caused, and what kinds of signs and symptoms might appear to let us know that that could potentially be an issue? Yeah, so cortisol, it, it is this major, one of the major stress hormones, and it's from that brain adrenal axis, that hypothalamic pituitary adrenal axis. And cortisol get, gets kind of a, a bad rap, so to speak, because people think the connotation is cortisol is a stress hormone, it makes me hold on weight onto my stomach section, this isn't good. But like everything in the body, it's not inherently bad. Like most things in the body, especially hormones, they're not inherently bad. It's just, it's subject to the the Goldilocks principle, you know, not too much, not too little, just right and at the right time. So with cortisol, it is supposed to be higher in the morning, waking you up in the morning, and a nice S-shaped circadian rhythm throughout the day, lower in the evening to allow melatonin, your sleepy time, neurotransmitter hormone to come up. So what happens here with cortisol is that any imbalance of cortisol is not good. But cortisol is in the right place and time actually very beneficial. It wakes you up. It gives you energy. And also dampens inflammation, which we know from an autism standpoint is important. So high cortisol is not inherently bad. You just want it to be higher when it should be and then lower when it should be as well. So it's really the imbalance of cortisol that's the problem. Um, and with, you know, something that people I'm sure are aware of, adrenal fatigue, it's really not an adrenal problem. It's a brain-adrenal axis issue. It's a brain-based issue. And that can cause fluctuations of cortisol, which is not good, um, these imbalances of cortisol. So cortisol can be always high. That's not good. That can make your body really hold on to weight, and you can always feel this fight-or-flight sort of sympathetic you're being chased by a tiger, but there's no tiger going on. Or mm-hmm. cortisol can be imbalanced. It could be high when it should be low and low when it should be high. You could have sleep problems and you're waking up in the middle of the night and can't fall back to sleep. Or a common adrenal fatigue issue is you get really fatigued in the afternoon and then get a second wind and you can't fall back to sleep because 
you got the second wind of energy. So it's this cortisol balance that's very important when it comes to optimal function, feeling great, sleeping well, and just being overall healthy. Okay. So in as kind of as a follow-up, just thinking out loud here, um, are those signs the same in children? So I recognize a lot of those signs in adults, right? Um, but would we expect to see the same thing in our kids if they were having an issue with that? I think behavioral problems in general. If the, if the child is not sleeping well, if the child is having cravings for certain foods, cortisol fluctuations can make you hangry and sort of go for these foods to create some sort of balance, some sort of homeostasis in the body. These hormonal surges um, are are common in kids um, and things that we need to get balanced. And, yeah, you would see them, but just in a kid version of it. Uh, in that they're craving for foods, their sleep issues, maybe some weight issues, energy issues. These are things that I would see in, in kids. Okay. Okay, great. So let's say I suspect there's a problem. What can I do? Is there a test that we can take to confirm it? Yeah. Um, about half of our patients actually are in other states and countries. We're based in Pittsburgh, um, but we are primarily a virtual clinic, and we drop ship these type of labs for people around the world. One of the most common in functional medicine is a salivary test, a saliva test, to look at this brain-adrenal axis. And it's about five vials of spit, and we have little kids do it too. It's a lot of spit, but it's a lot of information <laughs> in relation to, to hormones. So we're tracking that adrenal rhythm throughout the day, looking at cortisol, looking at stress hormones, and other hormones as well, and um, looking at that adrenal stress index. Excellent. Okay. So the next one, this is a big one. This is a hot topic right now. Let's talk about adaptogens. First of all, for our listeners who have never heard of this, what are they, and then what role do they play for us? Yeah, so adaptogens are a group of plant medicines. Um, They're like a little kingdom of plant medicines that have to fit a certain number of criteria. Number one is that they have to be generally safe for most people. Number two is they have to help you handle stress better. And number three, they have a balancing effect on hormones. So if they fit that three criteria, and there's a lot of far-reaching herbal medicines and plant medicines that do fit that criteria, then they're classified as an adaptogen, or you think of it as your body adapting to stress better with these food medicines. Um, So that's what an adaptogen is. And, yes, there's a lot of research um, centered around them and their relationship to hormonal balance and specifically being good for a lot of people because they don't have um, too much of a stimulating impact on those people and they don't have a hormonal suppression impact for a lot of people. They're just a good balancer for a lot of us. Great. All right. So um, are they good for everyone in the family or is it just really they're most helpful for people with acute issues? Is it just something you can do, you know, as a wellness routine or how – how does that usually work? Well, I mean, uh, it's, it depends on even natural things. I know that you all know this, but even natural things, what works for one person may not be right for you. So it's, it's good to look at what the individual needs and even labs are, are needed. But, but from a general standpoint, yes, they are safe for most people. Um, obviously, there's people that are more sensitive to others, but things, things like ashwagandha, which is a very famous adaptogen, is good for a lot of people. Um, Rhodiola can be stimulating for some people at night, so maybe not taking it too late in the evening. But overall, it's a good 
stress balance or hormone balancer as well. Um, Tulsi or holy basil is another good one too, good calming hormonal balancing impact. So a lot of these things are generally good for all of us. So testosterone. I know in the autism community this is a big issue. Not only does it appear to be um, a factor definitely that's associated with autism, given that four times as many boys are affected by the disorder, um, but I know also as a mother of a teenager um, on the spectrum that elevated levels of testosterone are pretty common issue. Um, Can adaptogens help with that? Which ones? And can you speak to a little bit of what's going on with that? Why, why, Why is that happening? Yeah. So that's a great question. I think that um, we, we talked about adaptogens having this hormonal balancing impact. So I think, yes, generally speaking, a lot of these adaptogens, um, and again, we have a full list on our website. I, I don't know if you have the link somewhere, but at drworldcole.com, if you just type in adaptogen, we have a full list of adaptogens and the research behind each one. Um, but uh, generally speaking, we want to do, uh, support hormonal balance, which adaptogens can do. But more importantly, when it comes to testosterone, since you mentioned that one, I would be more concerned with the upstream core issue. Why is there excess testosterone? And that is different depending on the person, but a common dysfunction going on there is impaired liver detoxification pathways. So phase two and phase three detox pathways. So the body is not actually getting rid of these excess hormones. And again, back to that Goldilocks principle, you want balanced hormones. Low testosterone is not good either. Um, But interestingly enough, there is an adaptogen that has been researched to help with these liver detox pathways, and it just happens to be an adaptogen in what we're talking about today, and that's Shishandra. Shishandra is a Mm. type of berry, but you can get it in powder form, and that's been shown to help with liver detox pathways, which not only has a hormonal balancing impact as an adaptogen, but it just so happens to also have liver detox support as well, which is good from an excess hormonal aspect. Got it. So along those lines, moving into anxiety, you know, we've talked about adrenals, we've talked about cortisol, et cetera. Anxiety and obsessive compulsive disorders, they tend to also be a really big issue for our kiddos and in our community. Any suggestions, remedies for either of those? Yeah, I think that when you talk about those type of issues, I think it's important to look at the, I mean, use the word, those are big issues. They're definitely big issues. And a lot of different pieces to the puzzle of those issues. They're multifaceted, and the pieces to the individual's puzzle are going to be different than the next person. We're all different. So um, I, I would say some common ones, especially in the autism community that are relevant uh, as it relates to OCD and to anxiety issues, would be, uh, number one would be gut problems, which we've started the conversation off with, looking at the gut-brain axis, because anxiety is linked to dysbiosis in the gut, inflammatory gut issues, leaky gut syndrome. So that's a common component to overcoming anxiety. The second one would be that gut-brain axis, but specifically is a blood-brain barrier, uh, destruction of the blood-brain barrier. Basically, as someone can have leaky gut, they can have also have leaky brain syndrome, which is causing neuroinflammation, brain inflammation. And I commonly see elevated antibodies to the blood-brain barrier in people that have anxiety. Uh, and hmm. actually, we also measure antibodies, basically proteins tagging for destruction, to neurological tissue. And there's a great lab. Again, we run these labs for people around the world, but it's a blood test. We would drop ship to you, and you would do it at a local blood lab in your city or town. 
And we would be able to see, is your brain inflamed? And there's a whole field of research referred to as the cytokine model of cognitive function, basically how inflammation impacts how your brain works. And mm-hmm. we oftentimes see these elevated inflammatory proteins against neurological tissue, against brain tissue, which is very well researched in the medical literature too, anxiety and OCD and things like this, as well as the gut-brain dysbiosis and the, so the gut dysbiosis and also methylation gene impairments like the MTHFR gene mutation and other methylation gene impairments that can also impact anxiety and OCD behavior. Okay. Boy, I've never heard of leaky brain syndrome before. <laughs> but of course, you of heard course it here that's first. a problem. Yeah, excellent. That's that's really fascinating. So, you know, as you can imagine, and I'm sure there's a lot of crossover here, but taking care of children on the autism spectrum can be um a, a very, you know, cause a lot of anxiety for the caretakers. It's not always easy. What kind of adaptogens might you recommend for us caretakers? Yes, yeah, a good one that's actually really calming, actually for kids on the spectrum as well as caretakers, is something called Mucuna, M-U-C-U-N-A. And okay. that is, uh, it's a, has it's high levels of L-DOPA, which is a precursor to dopamine, which is, has, can have a really calming impact on people. Uh, also, there's a special part of that adaptogenic kingdom of adaptogenic mushrooms, which, um, you know, I think people will be hearing more and more of them. They've been around for thousands of years, but, you know, research is catching up with antiquity now that these things that people use for thousands of years are actually really good medicinally. But things like chaga and reishi and lion's mane, these are really good calming adaptogens too, and they're they're not herbal. They're from uh, mushrooms. So you can get these in you know, powdered forms and, and whatnot to really be tools to use as a caretaker, but also a lot of kids in the spectrum really get benefit from that as well. Awesome. So kind of leading into my next question, how do you take adaptogens? <laughs> um, are they supplements, <laughs> powders? Do we sprinkle them on our food, all of the above? What's the usual way yeah. that people are um, taking these? Typically, they're in powder form, and that's how most people are having adaptogens. So you can get them, you can put them in uh, like your morning drink, like uh, your latte, or you can put them in your smoothies, and you can put them really in in anything. You can put them in baked goods if you're sort of baking uh, muffins or something like that. You can put uh, powdered adaptogens in there. And um, so you, you can make it fun for the kids. If you're doing it with your kids, you can sort of make fun elixirs and um, I have a, a patient that with her daughter, they have, they do a Harry Potter reference and do this polyjuice potion with, with their, her adaptogens with her, her daughter and they make it into something fun, um, in using food as medicine. So yeah, typically it's powder form. And again, you'd always want to talk with a healthcare professional to get exactly what's right for you, but these are generally safe for most people. Sure. And then I'm guessing um, dosing also is dependent on age and weight and all of that, or is it pretty general? It is pretty general because they are very safe. I mean, there's not really um, a lot of worrisome, you know, as long as you're taking the dosage on the bottle that you're taking, you should be fine. I don't really see any major issues with with patients clinically as well as in the research. There's really not major problems to worry about. Got it. Got it. Okay. Well, thank you so much for this information. I'm telling you right now, like I said, the leaky brain syndrome, <laughs> that has just been fascinating uh, for me. I, I never heard of that before, and I think that's going to be 
um, an extra uh, or an, an excellent area for us to pursue moving forward. But definitely hormones. I know, you know, like I said, I have a teenage daughter, and um, it's it's definitely an issue. You know, a lot of our kids go into um, early puberty. And then when they are in puberty, they seem to be dealing with really high levels of testosterone, and it's just always been a pretty problematic area for us to be able to address. So this is exciting. It's definitely very, very helpful information for us, so we appreciate it. So anyway, thank you so much for sharing all of this information and your insight with our GR families. Um, We really do learn so much from you guys and every piece of the puzzle that we can put together to help our children feel better and function better, right? Functional medicine. It makes a really powerful difference. So thank you. Um, Listeners, if you guys are interested in learning more from Dr. Cole, you want to reach out to him directly, you can do so. He mentioned his website. It's www.drwillcole.com and it's dr. W-I-L-L-C-O-L-E.com. You can also follow him on social media at Dr. Will Cole. And for everyone else, thank you so much for joining us. Um, This has been another great show of Chat Autism with Generation Rescue. We want to encourage you guys to stay in the loop with our innovative treatments and new therapies and happenings in the functional medicine and alternative wellness world by signing up for our newsletter. We have a newsletter at generationrescue.org. And you can also subscribe to our podcasts on Generation Rescue on iTunes. We'd also love to know what guests you'd like to hear on our show. You can tweet us at Generation Rescue, or you can feel free to post your ideas and comments on our Facebook page. Um, I'm your host, Julio Bradovic, and I hope you'll join us next month when we continue to share more of the best information out there in the pursuit of offering you guys health, healing, and hope to your children and your families dealing with autism. Dr. Cole, thanks again so much for being here with us today. We really appreciate it. And um, Thank you for next time, me. It was take, great. You are welcome. It was wonderful. Till next time, take care, everyone. Thanks for, thanks for joining us.